Well, I gave the title of the talk that I'm going to give on being a woman of faith. And um, I wonder who comes to mind to you when you think of who is a woman of faith. Um, maybe somebody that's alive today that you think of. Would you like to make any suggestions? The queen. The, that's, that's a lovely example, the queen. I know that last, was it not last year, the year before, she made some amazing Chris, Christian statements in her Christmas broadcast. And I was thrilled when our son said to us a few months after Christmas, you know, I wrote to the Queen and thanked her for that. And I thought, we ought to do that, shouldn't we? To thank her when she stands up for being a Christian and saying something about the Bible or about people trusting in Jesus. Yeah, the Queen. What about any heroes of her faith? People that you read their books or anything? Corrie, yeah, definitely. Wonderful example. Gladys yes, Gladys Aylwood. Yep. Any more? Jack yes, great. Jack. Does she still write stuff? Or? I'm not sure if she writes, but she's still... Yeah, she's still in ministry, yeah. Who else do you like to read about? Johnny Erickson had a lovely testimony. Yeah, jo Johnny is, is one of my favourites. Um, I use one of her daily reading books every, every morning, just rotate them every year. And I find that a real blessing to me. Um, lots and lots of people like Fiona Castle. Um, Helen Rosevere would be another one of my favorites. I had the privilege of interviewing her last year at Bible by the Beach. Remarkable woman of faith. But when I wondered what marks them out as women of faith, and it's generally their testimony in times of great suffering. Helen Rosevere was very brutally treated in the Congo, and her testimony of God's protection of her is quite amazing. Johnny Erickson Tarda has her neck broken. I mean, she's, she's completely quadriplegic, and her daily readings are such a testimony to the grace of God in tremendous suffering. And what about women uh, from the past, very, very famous women who are not alive uh, anymore? Uh, somebody suggested Gladys Aylwood anymore. Yes, great, thank you. Mother Teresa, yeah. Florence Nightingale, I thought you might think of with all the suffragette films and things like that. And those women, I think, are often known because of their selfless acts of devotion to others. When I was um, probably round about 10, I remember hearing Gladys Aylwood speak in Liverpool. And um, you'll know some of you the story of Gladys Aylwood. Um, she applied to the China Inland Missionary to be, a, to be a missionary, but didn't pass the exams. And then she heard uh, that one of the missionaries there um, wanted a younger woman to help with the work. And she saved up her money, and she saved up apparently two pounds and nine pence to travel to China. Uh, but that would only get her there if she went by train and not by boat. And so she set off, and um, I still remember her um, as I was there at the back of the Liverpool Phil, this tiny, weeny little woman um, who had trekked a hundred children across the Himalayas to safety through amazingly difficult um, terrain and weather. And as a result, she got um, typhus fever that she probably never really recovered from. And um, when she was speaking, there was this little boy at her feet with a car for the whole evening as she testified to the help that God had given her with the job that she was given to do. And then 
a Hollywood film was made about her. And apparently she was absolutely horrified that anybody would ever think about making a film about her life. And she hated the media's attention. But what I love about Gladys Aylward was that she is known as a small woman with a giant strength born of faith. And I wonder how we view these kind of women, because I think sometimes we think maybe they were very religious, very holy, not at all like us, not dealing with normal life, but of course they were. They were women of faith who are famous now because they had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. They came to know the living God because of what he'd done for them by dying for them on the cross. And then they were willing to share their faith, to talk about it, to tell us, to write books and to go out around and share their faith with people like us. Now, what about biblical women? Apparently, there are four, over 400 women mentioned in the Bible. I was a bit shocked by that. I've got a book of all 400 of them. Um, but who are your favourites? And I want to know why. Now, you're, there'll be some very common ones, I'm sure. So shout out a few. Ruth, I thought Ruth might come top of the pops. Why, why is Ruth a good example of faith? <laughs> well, that's a very good answer, putting up with your mother-in-law. Yeah, excellent, excellent answer. Another favourite? Mary. Yes, Mary. Yes. That's really helpful, thank you. We're going to look at Mary. I'll have a few things to say about her in a minute. But yeah, because she accepted what God was going to do in her life and, um, and, and did it. Yes, any more? Sorry? Lydia. Lydia. I've got Lydia down on my list too, yeah. We're going to look at Lydia in a minute too. I think you're reading my script here, you know. <laughs> Brilliant, because I'm going to talk about somebody who I think is like that. Yeah, thank you. That's really helpful. Yeah, great. That's lovely. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. That's great. Well, I thought we'd have a look at a couple of them. Um, tomorrow, what my husband's going to be speaking about is Hebrews chapter 12 and 13. And um, so before chapter 12 and 13, obviously, you get chapter 11, which is the great hall of faith. Those people who've gone before us and who are witnesses to us as to how to run the Christian life. And there are two women mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, somebody will know who those two are. Would anybody like to make a good guess? Rahab. Yes, Rahab is one. And who's the other? Sarah. Sarah, yes, well done. Now, I don't know about you, but I, if I was writing Hebrews 11, I would not have picked those two women because I don't think that they're particularly marvellous examples of being really, you know, they're, they're not the sort of people who just did everything right. You know, sometimes what I want to communicate to you is that we don't have to get everything right to be a woman of faith. And I think that Sarah and Rahab are both fascinating choices to be there in that hall of faith, that great gallery of people of faith. And I think, it, I'm sure they're there to show us the characteristics of the people that God uses. Now, um, Sarah, I, I, I love the story of Sarah, don't you? Now, she's told that she's going to have a child. Well, she overhears the conversation and she laughs. Now, 
I don't think that's too surprising because she was 90 years old <laughs> and her husband was 100. And um, I think it was in the NIV it said that her husband was as good as dead. Well, that's not, <laughs> that's not really very complimentary, is it, for the, for the father to be. And I'm surprised she didn't have a heart attack, never mind laugh. I mean, just, it just sort of on a faith thing, you think, crumbs, that, that's quite a big ask, isn't it? And she even tries to fix it for God by giving her husband her maid. So she thinks that must be how it's going to happen. It's not going to be me. But, you know, eventually she realises that nothing is too hard for God and that God can do even what seems impossible. And so in Hebrews 11, 11, it tells us that Sarah herself received the power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. And I think that Sarah is in that gallery of faith because she's an example to us of a woman of faith who believes and trusts in a faithful God who keeps his word and who can do the impossible. Now then the other one is Rahab. Now you'll know the story of um, Rahab, that she was a prostitute um, in the city of Jericho and that the spies go in to spy out the land and to see how they're going to defeat Jericho. And one commentary I read said it was a fairly natural place for them to go and hide in the home of a prostitute. Nobody would have ever known that they were going in and out and in and out. And she hides those two spies to protect them. And it's interesting that she does it because she's heard about God, the God of the Israelites, and she knows that he's done amazing things. And so we read in Joshua chapter 2, verse 11, as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you and for the Lord your God. He is the God in the heavens above and on the earth below. So she heard things about the God of the Israelites and she believed it. And she then was involved in helping to hide the spies and you know the story then of what happened as they marched around Jericho and defeated the city. Now her faith rescued her and her family when the walls of Jericho fell down. But I love the story of Rahab because she then got married to Salmon. They have some great names in the Bible, don't they, Salmon? Uh, and then they gave birth to Boaz. And you'll know Boaz from the story of Ruth. And then the, he was the great-grandfather of David. And then Rahab is mentioned in Matthew chapter 1 in the family line of Jesus Christ. Isn't that great? And I think that Rahab is a great example to us that no matter what our past, God can forgive us and change us and give us a fresh start if we believe and trust in him. Wonderful story. Now, the next person I picked in the Old Testament is that one, what I call the wonder woman of the Old Testament. And you'll guess that that woman is the woman of Proverbs 31. A superwoman, I would have thought. But um, interestingly, um, uh, Proverbs 31 is an, is an acrostic, so it's of the whole alphabet. So every line is another line of the alphabet. And one of the commentators uh, says that this is an alphabet acrostic of, a, of wifely excellence. So the idea is that we see within this example of somebody as to everything a woman could do, potentially to serve the Lord. Um, I don't think that we're all meant to be able to do every single thing that the woman in Proverbs 31 could do. She had 
very specific gifts and financial um, resources, but I think it shows us the scope of what women are able to do. And therefore we read that she bought and sold land, she planted a vineyard, she traded goods, she brought stuff from afar, she was creative, she spun clothes for her family, made bed covers, clothed herself in purple, very classy lady, and yet she still had compassion on the needy and managed her household. And now I take comfort that she had servants to do all of these jobs. And, and my sister always says, yeah, and she didn't have to do GCSE coursework either, <laughs> you know. So, but we see the potential. Um, she's not somebody, and people sometimes think the Bible only teaches that women have to stay at home and just look after the kids. Here's a woman who's given huge sphere of influence. She's trading, she's managing people, and she's doing everything. And yet, what is she known for? She is omnicompetent, but what she's known for is her faith. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. That is her lasting legacy. Um, I, I'm always amused with the story of her, um, with her having servants because um, when my husband was first made a bishop, our local MP was criticising bishops because he thought we all lived in houses with swimming pools and servants and all that kind of stuff. So we invited him for lunch um, and then he could see that we didn't have any servants and we didn't have a swimming pool and we just lived in a normal house, you see. So he then uh, sent in the TV cameras the next day to so Southeast TV or something came to film us. It was really boring uh, because they filmed my husband washing his car with his own bucket. I thought that was really exciting TV. And then they filmed us washing up. Well, that was very funny because the cups weren't dirty in the first place. So, <laughs> so we had to get out six cups and six saucers and wash them up for about 20 minutes. And they filmed us through the kitchen window, through the patio window, from the back and everything. And it went out on TV that night. And then all my friends rang me up the next day going, we thought you had a dishwasher. <laughs> so, yeah, we do have a dishwasher. We didn't have the servants, <laughs> but we did have a dishwasher. But anyway, uh, going back to this, this woman in Proverbs 31, it's her faith that is her lasting legacy. And her faith is what we can all aspire to and learn to trust God for. I wonder what you're hoping to be known for when you've gone. Uh, that you, were, you ran a spotless house, you were a great cook, you were the world's best grandmother. Uh, the highest accolade would be that we were a woman of faith because a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And then I picked um, two New Testament women. Uh, I picked Mary, and somebody at the back said Mary. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, is probably the most influential woman that ever lived. And uh, the sad thing is, I think, that in some circles, she is elevated above Jesus. And therefore, it puts us off looking at Mary because we think, well, we don't want any of that. And I absolutely loathe the church in Nazareth. I won't go in anymore because in the church, the picture is of Mary higher up than Jesus interceding between us and God, which is absolute rubbish. And I think would be so sad. And I think Mary would be so angry that she is there to honour Jesus. And um, she's a great example of faith in the Bible and how we trust God. And in the next few weeks, as we're leading up to Christmas very rapidly, we will hear those readings of 
Zachariah the priest going into the temple and being told that he is going to have a child and him querying what God is going to do and being struck dumb. And we will hear how the angel Gabriel goes to Mary and tells Mary that she is going to have a child even though she's a virgin. And I'd always thought that Mary also questions God, but actually her question's not one of doubt, but amazement that she's going to have a child when she's a virgin. And you'll remember the angel says to Mary, nothing will be impossible with God. And what it actually says is no word from God is impossible. And then Mary says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. So a biblical woman of faith should be known for her unquestioning acceptance of the word of God, even when circumstances look impossible. And then the other person I picked was Lydia, which somebody else also mentioned. A different kind of woman altogether in the New Testament. And in Acts 16, we read that she was a successful businesswoman. Um, if you were really somebody, you wore purple. So if you've got purple on tonight, a few of you, you're it. Uh, very expensive stuff was purple. Now, what's interesting, I think, about Lydia was that she was a God-fearer, but she hadn't heard about Jesus. And I think that's interesting because being a God-fearer wasn't going to be enough to get her into heaven. She needed to come to know Jesus personally for herself. And she met Paul uh, when he arrived in the town and she's there with the women praying at the river. And Paul tells her about Jesus Christ who died on the cross to forgive her, to, for her to have accepted all that she'd done wrong and to put her trust in him. And she believes immediately and our whole family is baptised. And interestingly, when we get to the end of the chapter, the church is already meeting in the house of Lydia, which is great, isn't it? So she's a woman of faith who comes to know Jesus personally and then opens her home for God's work. Not something that every one of us can do, but I think as women of faith, we should ask ourselves that question. Could we use our home to help other women find out about Jesus? Now, um, just to tell you a little bit more about me, um, I can identify with Lydia, not the fashion buying business. I wasn't ever into that. Um, but I was taken to church every Sunday by a Christian mum. I read my Bible uh, every day, pretty much. I even went to church three times on a Sunday. My dad used to say, I don't know why you don't go, just go and live there because you're there so, you know, so much of the day. He was just driving me back and forth to church. My dad wasn't a Christian at the time. Um, but I didn't know Jesus personally. I just was kind of religious. I just did the stuff. I just enjoyed going to church. I quite enjoyed reading my Bible. But I remember when I was 14, um, going to a girls' uh, Bible rally and the speaker saying, does Jesus Christ go with you everywhere that you go? Is he involved in your life every minute of every day? And I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but in 1,000 girls, I thought he was only speaking to me. Because I thought, actually, Jesus Christ doesn't impact everything that I do every day. Nobody at school knows that I'm a Christian. And uh, I needed Jesus' forgiveness to come into my life and save me, which happened on that day. And that was the beginning of my Christian journey when I asked God to forgive me and give me a new start and for Jesus to take over my life. And that was over 44 years ago. 
That's when I became a woman of faith and started on a, that journey, which hasn't always been smooth, but having God with me has made all the difference. Now, I thought there's many, many things in my life that I could share with you about moments when I've known God's help in a particular way, but I've just picked two. Um, we have, uh, well, I told you, our daughter Jessica, who is now 32 or something like that, um, she, when she was 18 months old, on a Sunday afternoon, I had just poured boiling water into a teapot and she grabbed the tray and pour, pulled the whole thing over her face, down her front and down one arm, and she was very, very badly scalded. And it was in the time when, you know, you think, what's the latest rule as to what you're meant to do in a scalding situation? And I was trying to cover in water and take her clothes off and all the rest. And uh, when we took her to the hospital, they treated us as if we had thrown the boiling water at her. It was dreadful. And uh, she, was, she had to have all her skin peeled off and it was, it was a grisly, grisly business. And they told us that she would uh, be scarred on her face and that she would need skin grafts. And you kind of think if she'd been a little boy, she could have grown a beard, but she'd taken all the skin off her face from here, down this side and then down one arm. And um, <coughs> we went home and every night we'd been reading a psalm together and this was the psalm of that night. Psalm 57 verse one, I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. And it was such a word to us as we had our adorable, beautiful little girl in such a bad state. And um, you know, if you um, scald even your little finger, it doesn't half hurt. And you know, she never touched her face or anything at all. She just was amazing really. And we just had to keep spraying her with stuff. And um, somebody has once said that God's promises are like stars, the darker the night, the brighter they shine. And those verses and psalms that we read every day kept us going through that time. It also had a very remarkable effect on the church that we were in, um, who I don't think had ever seen that the minister and his family might need caring for. You're probably much better at that. Um, but they needed, we needed them and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed and it had a great effect on them. And um, somebody in the congregation gave me that poem, Footprints. You know about there being only one set of footprints in the sand when things got most difficult and the whole idea is that but that's when God carried us. And that was true in our lives as we trusted God through that. And two weeks afterwards, we went back to the hospital and the doctor said <coughs> to us, do you know, it's a miracle. Her face has completely healed. And we were able to say to him, you know, we believe in a God of miracles and we're grateful for all you did to help us, but God healed her face. Now, she's still got a scar here on her collarbone. And it, what's amazing is she tells everybody, that's my miracle mark to remind me that God saved my face. And so we can all have those kind of testimonies to the love and protection of God. Uh, but that was a pretty tough one to have to go through. And then uh, we were in um, the potteries in Staffordshire and then we moved to Haroldwood in Essex where we were there for 10 years and our children grew. And then uh, one Sunday, uh, my husband went down ill with what we thought was the flu. And uh, the next morning, uh, he got a letter 
uh, in a brown envelope from Downing Street asking him to become the Bishop of Lewis. Uh, he always says if he thought that if the Queen sent him a letter, it might be in a white envelope. He thought a brown one was a bit cheap. But um, anyway, that's by the by. But um, <coughs> what happens is that when you uh, become a bishop, you do get an invitation from the Queen, but you're not allowed to refuse the Queen. So she has to know that you're going to say yes before she asks you to do it. See, So you get one letter and it says, if you were asked, would you say yes? So we had this letter sitting on the desk and he isn't very well. And by the end of the week, he ends up in hospital. Three weeks later, they still haven't got any idea what's the matter with him. And he just got worse and worse and worse. And so that letter just had to be put on one side. And um, people often say, you know, we could see light at the end of the tunnel. We couldn't see any light at the end of any tunnel because nobody knew what was the matter with him. He couldn't sit up. He had a raging fever. And uh, he was a great mystery. They thought in the end that he might have had brucellosis and then decided he had a thing called um, zero-negative arthritis, where basically whatever was wrong with him, his immune system was attacking his own body. And so that's a long, it's a long story. But for five months, he lay in bed, not able to do anything at all. And um, we, <coughs> we managed to keep going, looking at photograph albums, just sitting and talking. Um, nobody could come to see him. He couldn't cope with anybody being there. He couldn't go up and down the stairs, and uh, we still had this letter sitting there. So we do remember one day just saying to God, you know, if we're meant to do that job, please could he get better? And if we're not meant to do the job and I go back to teaching full-time, then it's in God's hands. We'll just wait and see what happens. And at the end of that week, we were sent to a, <coughs> excuse me, to a doctor in London who said to him, I know exactly what you've got. It will burn out of your body in three years' time you can go ahead and take the job. And uh, one of our favourite psalms through those days was Psalm 62, verse 1, and it still is. If you asked our children, what is mum and dad's favourite verse, they'll tell you. It's Psalm 62, verse 1. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. Sometimes we felt pretty shaken. But the promise of the Bible is that we will not be greatly shaken. God knows how much we can cope with. And anyway, the night, um, so time moves on and uh, he starts to get better. And uh, the night before uh, he was made a bishop, we had to stay the night at Lambeth Palace. Now, if you've got little children, you just feel sympathy for me now because my son was 10. He only ate fish fingers and pizza. So I can remember thinking, oh my goodness, we're going to stay at Lambeth Palace. They're not going to give him fish fingers and pizza. What are we going to do? And I said to him, James, you've got to promise me that whatever you're given, you swallow it and ask God to keep it down. <laughs> <coughs> and I watched him and it was chicken, which was, a, I mean, and it was Eileen and George Carey and they had dozens of grandchildren and they were absolutely marvellous with him. But I watched him go, and then opening his eyes. But anyway... Um, <laughs> We lay in bed the night before, listening to Big Ben chime every 15 minutes of the night. And at three o'clock in the morning, my husband and I looked at each other and we said, what on earth are we doing here? And then it only took seconds to think. God had brought us through some very difficult days and he still had a job for us to do. And we needed to trust in him for the future. That's now um, 18 years ago. And there have been occasions when 
we felt God is holding on to us much more than we are holding on to him. Times when we know that we have been of very weak faith, but God has always been faithful. And I'm learning, and I'm still learning, the things that many of those women in the Bible did, that God is faithful, and that I can trust in the promises he has given us in the Bible. Uh, a while ago, I was asked to be the first speaker at a ladies' breakfast at All Saints in Eastbourne. And they called their breakfast Aroma, based on the verses in 2 Corinthians 2.15. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing, to one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Now, I guess many of us will have put on perfume before we came out this evening. And as Christian women, you and I have the awesome responsibility to li live in such a way that the lingering fragrance of Jesus is left behind when we leave the room. It's quite a challenge. That we are his witnesses and people need to see Jesus living in us. And I think it's a challenge. Do your friends know you as a woman of faith? Have you ever told them? Have you actually come to know Jesus personally, to know his forgiveness and a new start? Now, um, to end, I want to tell you about three of my favourite... Well, I've been selfish, really, haven't I? Because I've been telling you about all my favourite women of faith. But these are three of my very favourite people who've impacted me. Could be loads of them. But no, none of you will ever know Irene Webb. Um, Irene became a Christian in the first parish that we were in. She was uh, in her 60s when she came to faith. She was um, the local bookkeeper. She ran the betting office. She'd hardly ever been to school. Um, and Jesus Christ came into her life and changed it completely. And it showed, and everybody in the village knew that something had happened to Irene Webb. She was just like that woman, the Samaritan woman, who would say, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. She just told everybody about Jesus. And um, when she was um, in her 90s, I'd ring her up in a nursing home and we'd be chatting together and then I'd realise that she was actually talking to Jesus and not to me. And she'd be in conversation where just prayers were just absolutely natural. And uh, my husband took her with him to um, Israel on a tour of Israel. And she said to him, you know, I'll be walking where Jesus walked and if I die, just bury me there because I'll be walking with him in heaven. And he was very relieved to bring her home because they thought that, that was a bit tricky. But, but isn't that lovely to think that just life on here is one level of walking and one day those who believe and trust in him will be walking with him in heaven forever. She just reminds me of that many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Many people in our village believed because of Irene's testimony. Mrs Barnes is still alive. She is a very dear saint in one of the congregations that we served. And when my husband was made a bishop and it was at Southwark Cathedral, we invited her to come amongst lots of other people. And she told him that day that she had prayed for him every single day since he was ordained. And then she'd added me and then she'd added our children. And we felt so humbled because if under God we have ever done anything for him, it's because of that woman's prayers. And you know, she's housebound and she prays for, you won't believe this, 180 people every day. 
And um, I said to her, how on earth do you do it? So she said, well, it's very easy. Just have my breakfast and then I sit down and I pray for the first 60. And after lunch, I pray for another 60. And after tea, I pray for another 60. And those prayers go all around the world. And I think sometimes, you know, we can feel limited by our physical ability, not able to get out, feeling you just can't do stuff or you feel too old. How amazing to think you can pray. You only need to be in an armchair or a bed and look at the effect of that woman. And the last person I picked is my mum. Uh, my mum uh, was 84 last week. Uh, she's indefatigable. She absolutely would wear you out even thinking what she does. Um, but when she was 80, so four years ago, we had um, what we call the wacky weekend and we had all of the family sleeping in our, uh, at our house. The kids all slept in the garden. If you were over 21, you got to be in a bed. Um, but uh, it was amazing and uh, we had fun and then over the lunch time on the Sunday she said um, could I speak to everybody we didn't know this was coming and um, she had written uh, down everything in her life that she believed that some people would say was a coincidence but she believed was a God incidence in her life she became a Christian in her teens so she'd written it into a booklet and she'd printed it for every one of her grandchildren. She's got nine grandchildren, so they were all there. Um, and I love the saying that a coincidence is a providence in which God prefers to remain anonymous. And she um, went through some of those things with the children and she said, you know, I became a Christian and put my hands in the hands of Jesus when I was a teenager. I'm now 80. Chances are I will die sometime pretty soon. But she said, I don't want you to worry about me because I will be safely in the arms of Jesus and I will be waiting for you. And will you all turn up? And you know, it was such a challenge uh, because she knew that a couple of her grandchildren don't know Jesus yet personally. Many of them do. And I remember them sobbing. And, but I, it, was, it was such a challenge because... She knows Jesus personally. She wants them all to be there. And what a challenge for us. Do we have that burden for our family, for our friends, for those who we love very dearly, that they will come to know Jesus, that we will spend eternity together with him? So that's been a bit of a whistle-stop tour of um, some women of faith. Um, I'm sure you could draw up your own list if you get a chance over the weekend. Write down some of those people who've impacted you. But we can all be women of faith. Most of us will never have a film written about us. <laughs> Thank goodness for that. Uh, never write a book. Never be on TV. But we can all play our part. We can testify to a God who saved us and gave us a new start like Rahab and Sarah. We can share our faith with our family and friends like Mrs. Webb, my mum, and Lydia. We can testify to a God who helps us through the tough times. I often think that we must have the tough times to be able to see just how much God loves and protects us. And we can testify to that, like Johnny Erickson Tarda, <laughs> like Helen Rosevere, like uh, Fiona Castle. And we can trust in a God of the impossible, like Mary. We can love and obey his word in the Bible. And we can pray, like Mrs. Barnes. And we can all be known like that woman of Proverbs 31, that a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Uh, my husband said to me very graphically, what fragrance will you leave behind? Chanel number no. five or a damp towel? That's very flattering, isn't it? Yeah. 
But it's a big challenge because I guess most of the time we don't feel much of a fragrance and we feel a bit more of a damp towel. But you know, God doesn't expect us to do any of this on our own. He is with us by his spirit, helping us every step of the way as we try to follow him. Nancy Ledermoss says this, and I, I love this quote. I am convinced that the influence of an army of godly women will be incalculable in our homes, our churches, and our culture. Will you be one of those women? Thank you. And uh, we have got time because Clive's given us a bit of time. Uh, and so if there's any questions or comments or anything anybody would like to share, please do um, join in. <laughs>